Hey there. Welcome to the She Begins podcast. Hi, I'm Jen Whitney. I'm a coach, a mom to a teenager, among other things. And I don't know about you, but I feel like the conversations that women can have together that I've had with my friends, that these conversations are full of gold, especially when we are supporting each other, when we're really listening, and when we let down our guard and share our experiences to help each other. I'm also slightly obsessed with the ability that we have as humans to constantly grow and evolve. That growth isn't always easy, but that growth always comes from a new beginning of some kind. So this podcast will be all about the good, the bad, the ugly, the funny, and the beautiful that happens when we begin again, start over or start a new part of our lives. The women who I get to interview and have conversations with are from all different walks of life, different ages, different hopes and dreams, but they share deeply personal stories with us about their journey, about their new beginnings, about what they loved, hated, learned, were afraid of, all of it. And they share that with us with the hope that their story will help another woman feel comforted, feel encouraged, feel supported, and just less alone. Let's begin. So today's podcast, we're going to talk about this concept of beginning before we're ready or having to begin before we want to, but it's not our choice when we've had to go through a breakup, a divorce, a new job. And when we're younger, beginnings, new beginnings were great, right? We began college, we began that new job, we began relationships and friendships, and these were all relatively easy beginnings Maybe things that we weren't quite ready for, but we weren't terrified. They were probably pretty exciting experiences and we probably got through the initial fear or the initial need to really feel ready and we just went for it. But when we're older, we're given beginnings that we don't necessarily want, like beginning life as a single mom, beginning having to live in a new place beginning to see the effects of gravity on our bodies, gray hair, things going south, the beginning of needing to look for a new job, the beginning of life after you have lost someone that you love dearly. And these are beginnings that we can't prepare for, right? They're sudden, they're devastating sometimes, and they're out of our control. We're not ready for those beginnings. All right, so let's talk about this with a story. It's story time. Let's set the scene. So several years ago in my life, it's a Monday morning. It's a nice cold morning in February. I'm rushing to get ready, wanting to get my daughter out the door quickly for school. It's a Monday morning, so rushing. My husband at the time has worked the night shift, so he's in bed sleeping. And I get a text, I'll never forget it, from our babysitter at the time that says, I can't be your friend anymore. You need to talk to blank, my ex at the time. Knocked me totally off my feet. I had no idea what this woman was even talking about. So something inside me, though, said, this is not right. This is something that's that's really bad. And that, for me, was the first really hard new beginning that I had had probably in a very, very long time. And again, it wasn't a beginning that I necessarily wanted. I wasn't anticipating it. And so I 
proceeded to get my daughter ready for school and then went in and woke up my husband and showed him the text on my phone from our babysitter. Cliche, right? He got a look in his eyes that I don't think I'll ever forget. Said, I'll take Katie to school. I'll talk to you when I get back. So spent the next 15 minutes already knowing what was coming. He gets home. He asked to sit down at the kitchen table. And I find myself hearing things like, she pursued me. I didn't want to. It was only once. But I couldn't really hear. There was a loud rush, just this overwhelming flood of rage and panic and loss. I remember putting my ring on the uh, counter and walking out the door, getting into my car. And when I am in a hard spot, I usually like to find the ocean. And it doesn't matter if it's February when it's cold. Got in my car, made a plan for my daughter, and drove from upstate New York to the coast in Maine. Yeah, in February. It was a brilliant, brilliant decision. Thinking if I got close enough to the ocean that somehow could give me the clarity because I knew at that time I was going to be making the most important decision of my life. I didn't sleep that night. I remember getting up, bundling up, and going down to the beach, which I could see from my hotel room, which the only reason I could afford the hotel room on the beach was because it was February in Maine. Who goes to the beach in February? not many people. So I go down to the water and there is a sunrise and I stare and I walk and I walk and I think about what what am I supposed to do now? And I didn't know. I really for the first time in my life had no idea what I was going to do next and I was quite frankly terrified and disgusted and angry and all the things that come with the day that you discover someone that you've been married to has betrayed you. So I went home and for the next three years, there were lots of beginnings for me of doing things before I was ready, but I'll, I'll get to that another time. So during the end of that three-year period, I had gotten into working out. I had gotten into running, into weightlifting. It was really one of the only places that I could go and feel strong and whole and just feel like myself. My marriage at that time was um, continuing to crumble. Uh, I remember going to bed every night knowing that I wasn't going to have a husband on a porch in a rocking chair that had loved me faithfully his entire life. Now I know that that is storybook and silly, but it was something that I thought I was kind of guaranteed in choosing the man that I married. So to cope with all of this stuff, all of the growing awareness that this was not going to work, that I was never really going to get over it, I do did what I always do, which is try to control something when something else in my life is out of control. So that became working out. So would go to the gym a lot with my husband. He had friends at the time, and they spoke about 
training for this Spartan Beast obstacle course race, which at the time, I had no idea what that was. Did some research and he and his buddies ended up signing up. It was the Killington Spartan Beast race in Killington, Vermont. It's a 13-mile race with, I think, 30 to 40 obstacles. Crazy, crazy. They have other races uh, in Spartan. They have a super, which is 10 miles of obstacles and running, and then the sprint, which is just five miles. So, of course, um, he chose, and I'm thinking, okay, this is this is a good place to, to try this out. Let's see what this is. And so I see him start to train for it. And I say to him, you know, I think I'm going to do the beast. I I think I'm ready for something like that. And he, I can remember him looking at me and saying, you know, I think you're physically capable, but I don't think you're mentally capable. That was the worst thing you could have said to me. Fuck you. I'll show you is my, was my immediate thought. So this was in July, the race was in September. So that gave me about two months to prepare for something I had no idea what I was getting myself into. I remember training every day. I remember pouring my heart into figuring out how to do the obstacles, how to practice, how to do monkey bars and rope climbing, things that I had never even thought I was capable of doing. We all practiced, we all worked out together. My husband ended up getting injured. So on the day of the race, it was really just me and his buddies at the starting line. Of course, they all were um, way ahead of me within the first few minutes of the race. So it was just me and 5,000 other people hiking around and up and down this crazy ski mountain in Vermont. And this was something we paid for. We paid a good amount of money to do this race. So another thing about that morning is that I was scared to death. I literally was crapping my pants. Not literally, but pretty close. I think I visited the porta potty at least five times within the half hour before the race. I felt like I was in completely over my head and I didn't have any way out. I wasn't going to quit. I wasn't going to not do it. It was just something that's like grit your teeth and bear it. Jump before you're ready, right? So I get to the starting line with about probably 500 people who were in the heat of that race. They had us go in waves of about 500 people. So we're all standing right near the first obstacle of the race, which is jumping over, not jumping over, getting over a four-foot wall. So to even get in the area to be able to start the race, you've got to get yourself over this wall. That wasn't easy. And at that moment, I was like, shit, I'm not ready for this. So standing there, shaking, nerves, um, and then they start this Well, there's music already, but then they start this kind of warrior type chant. And I remember thinking, what in the hell is going on here? But the more they did this chant, the more they talked about what it was like to be a Spartan and how we were to be there for each other, how we were to not quit. I found myself tearing up a bit and I found myself by the end of the chant where they have you say, we are Spartan. I found my voice actually shouting, I am a Spartan, dorky, but I'm telling you, there was something in that moment. So that race, I could tell you 
hours and hours of stories about. It was the most difficult thing I have ever done physically in my life. Started about 11 a.m. and I'll tell you kind of what happened throughout the race. But we're going up and down the mountain. We're doing things like climbing over walls, climbing ropes. We're doing things like carrying buckets full of gravel all the way up a steep hill and back down again. We're dragging sleigh, metal sleighs full of weights to a certain point. We're picking up these, I don't even know how heavy they were, 50 pound spheres. The Atlas carry is what it's called. What, Whatever, all of this to say, it was no fucking joke. I was blown away by how much I would need to just mentally keep going. So there's this thing in the beast at Killington in particular. And if you are a Spartan, you know what this is. It's the Death March. And so this is called the Death March because this is the trail that starts at the foot of the mountain and then goes up the steepest possible way. So it's if it was a ski trail during the wintertime, I, I think it would be a black diamond. And it was literally straight up. And so the race creators would put this death march at different points and in, in in every each year in the race. So that happened. And I remember thinking as I got to the top, not without cramping, almost crying, but I got to the top and looked down. And at that point, who knows how many hours it had been, but I decided I was, I was going to finish. Before that, I had hemmed and hawed and tried to figure out a way out of it. But after I did that death march with 200, 300 other people battling their own, uh, what is the word, battling their own wanting to give up. And once I saw them, we were all together. We got to the top together. So I decided. So mile by mile goes by. It gets dark. And so by this point, it's in September. So I'm, I'm at uh, probably about eight hours into this race. And they tell you you have to have a headlamp in your, you know, your camelback or whatever you have to bring with you for water and fuel. I'm like, I'm not going to need the headlamp. Like I, I got this. I needed the headlamp. It got dark and I knew I only had a couple of miles to finish. But of course, those miles at the end of the race, they make those super challenging to really mess with your head. And I can remember one of the obstacles was picking up these huge cuts of wood. So these huge cylinders of wood, maybe they weren't huge, but they weighed a goddamn lot. And so the challenge or the obstacle was you had to pick up this log, put it over your shoulder, try to make your way inch by inch up to the top of the turnaround point and then bring it back down. And so we're all in a kind of row, an ant line at that point, headlamps you can see going up the mountain. And I remember hearing somebody go, watch out! And a log, somebody had dropped a log, and this log is tearing down the mountain at like full speed. And I saw it go by me, and I thought, okay, this just got a little real. I need to pay attention. If I'm going to finish, I need to pay attention. And in that moment, I for some reason thought about the last three years of my marriage and how much I had tried to convince myself that this was the rest of my life, that I was probably never going to trust, that the way that we interacted, the way that I was treated, it 
this was just how life was going to be. I, I decided to get married. I vowed to stay married. And I worked really fucking hard at trying to make things work, twisting myself into too many different configurations, personalities, just trying with all my might to not have my daughter have a broken home. That was my biggest fear. I came from a divorced home and I did not want that for her. But what I realized after that log rolled down the mountain was that life is freaking short. And what in the hell was I doing staying in a marriage that was sucking my soul, making me feel smaller and smaller every day? where I would count the days, the good days were how many days I could end up not in the bathroom at one o'clock in the morning crying because that was the only time I could get away and actually feel all of the hurt and the rage and the fear. So what was I doing? I'm able to do this race, I'm thinking to myself. I'd gotten a new job at that point, had gotten a great raise, was doing really well, had some great new friends, and just felt like physically and mentally amazing. But emotionally, I knew that this was no longer something that I could tolerate. And I just remember thinking, I'm done. If I can do this, I can do anything. I know that sounds cliche, but it, I'll remember this moment for the rest of my life because it was in that moment that I gave myself permission to not only get out of a really toxic part of my life, but to begin, right? I wasn't ready for that log to roll down the hill. I wasn't ready for any of those goddamn obstacles, but I, I had to begin unready. I had to keep going. So exhausted. I find myself finally able to see the finish line. And the finish line at a Spartan race is nothing that is normal. Nothing about Spartan racing is normal. Their finish line consists of some blocks and rows of wood, not rows, one row of really what was like a line of blocks on fire. On fire, yes. And so I'm looking at this going, what the fuck? I'm exhausted. What if I fall into the fire? My brain was really not seeing or thinking clearly, though the fire was probably only six inches off the ground, but it looked scary. And I got, God, like one more fucking thing. And I decided, you know what? I just, I have to jump. I can't sit here and think about it and figure out the right way to do it and when to do this and what will happen if I don't make it. I just had to go. And so I ran and I got over the finish line. And he was there, my daughter was there, and I remember thinking, I feel bad for you, buddy, you don't, you don't know that I'm done. And he gave me kind of a half-hearted congratulatory hug, we went to dinner with friends, and I couldn't sleep because I was so exhausted, um... And that was really the beginning of this new life that I was creating. So over the next five months, things continued to deteriorate. And uh, three years to the day of when he told me about his affair with the babysitter, I told him that I was done, that I wanted out. He, of course, was shocked. He didn't realize the, the um, stress and the ongoing insecurity and not being able to trust and the ongoing, I don't want to say emotional abuse, but it was 
it was pretty toxic and I put up with it and started to believe things about myself that weren't true. Like I was abused as a child, so I'm always going to be looking to be abused, that I'm a fake person, that no one will love me, that I just need to get over things. And years of that, while also being afraid he might leave again, had really made me very small. And that mountain put me back together and made me big. And he was shocked. And I was fucking terrified. And that began a few months of hell, which I won't get into here. And then the divorce was was final about six months later. All right, so why am I telling you this story? Like, this is not a happy story, right? Here's the thing. It's, again, focusing on beginning even when we're not ready. So number one, I wasn't ready to be a wife who was cheated on to have that identity to be in a small town and to worry that every person I saw at the supermarket looked at me as if I was a woman without strength that I was a woman that would just let a man do whatever he wanted and I wasn't ready for the beast I wasn't ready for what was coming I thought I knew I you know I I thought that just because I had done a couple of months and I would you know had practice and had success, that it was going to be easy. In reality, I probably should have trained for months, several months, and done many more hikes on Killington, completed many more practice obstacles. I went into something completely over my head. But what that beginning before I was ready did for me is helped me to, this is going to sound cheesy, but to find myself again. I had been there all along. I had just buried her super, super deep. And she was obviously pretty loud and sick of doing this life the way that I was trying it. So I walked away from that marriage feeling, again, terrified, but a huge sense of relief. So yes, I wasn't ready for that Spartan race. I wasn't ready for the journey of being a part of a couple where there's infidelity. I wasn't prepared for being a single mom. I wasn't prepared or ready for any of it. But if I had prepared for all of those things, had been able to predict them and really figure out a way to do them the correct way, I would have not found those parts of myself that were like, fuck it. Here we go. Let's go. Taking your hand, jumping over the fire, cut the bullshit. We're done with this. That girl, that woman, whatever that was, she was born. She was from that mountain. So by now, if you have listened this far, you probably have some things that you're not quite ready for. We'll get into that in a second. But here's why we have to begin before we're ready. If we begin, we wait to begin until we have all the information, we're going to waste time and we're going to spend that time overthinking. We almost always know the answer if we get quiet and really listen to that voice inside of us. I call it the knowing with a capital K, that instinct, that intuition. We know that it's something that we need to do and we fight it by trying to prepare, trying to plan, trying to minimize, trying to say we don't need to do the thing. 
And I was listening to another podcast recently, and uh, the the host was talking about a study, not a study, um, just uh, some work that had been done with people that were dying in the hospital. And it was generally older people, and so the person that was, I think it was doing the research or doing the study, whatever, that doesn't matter. What they found is that when talking to people that were dying, the thing that they regretted most was the thing that they didn't do. They regretted not taking the risk. They regretted not being bold enough, not believing in themselves enough to begin before they were unready, before they were unready. That doesn't make sense. They did not choose to begin unready, and they regretted that on their deathbed. And I don't want that for me, and I don't want that for you. So I have three questions. Let me ask you, what is that thing, that conversation, that situation, that decision that you need to have or make and you just don't feel ready for? Think about it for a second. Next question, how long have you taken or how long do you plan to take to feel ready? And my last question to you is, does being ready absolutely guarantee the outcome that you want. So no judgment here, no telling you what you should or shouldn't do. That is not ever what you will get here. This is just me sharing my experience and sharing the questions that I asked myself. So here's the thing, I get it. These are not the easiest decisions to have to have, but they are questions that when you sit with them, and you again listen to that whispering knowing you're going to find the answer. Okay, that's all for today. I hope this episode helped you in some way. If you did like it, if it helped you or just made you feel less alone, if it made you laugh, I would be so honored, completely honored, if you would subscribe. Subscribe. I always have trouble. Let's begin that again. Subscribe. (laughs) Subscribe. And maybe even leave a review. And if you are interested in being interviewed for a future episode, I would love to connect with you. The easiest way to do that is through my Instagram, which is at Jen Lynn Coaching, J-E-N-L-Y-N-N Coaching. And again, that's the easiest way to get in touch. Feel free to DM me. I would love to connect and get to know more of you. And until next time, bye, my friends.